Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. We are, uh, we are in the throes of Christmas season, right? So I asked our guys this morning who were serving, I said, hey, uh, how many of y'all are traditionalists? Because there's always that one person who's like, man, I don't celebrate Christmas until December 1st, right? Like, yeah, or after Thanksgiving. I, I'm one of those people who does it very early. I, I am. I'll just tell you, I am the guy who's like, November 1st, we're putting on the music. Like, we're, 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 we're rocking and rolling the frosty here really early. But uh, now we're all together. We're all united, dude. It's, it's Christmas time. It is Christmas season. And uh, I love I love this time of year. I love the lights and, and the treats, and I love, man, uh, the songs and, 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 and all the different activities that are out there. It's just a lot of fun this time of year as an adult. I think it's great. Um, it's funny how Christmas changes, though, when you're an adult, right? It's not the same when you were a kid. I, I, I was thinking about this earlier. You know, growing up, Christmas was phenomenal, but as an adult, it's kind of like I, my wife and I, we actually don't really do gifts. I know it's kind of a little crazy, but we don't, we don't really do gifts. We, we like each other. We spend time with each other. I, she has a Christmas village she I always add to every year. So if you if you were to go to our house, we've got a big display of Lee Max Christmas Village stuff. She loves that kind of thing. And so I always add to that. And then for me, like I, I don't really ask for anything. There's only one thing I ask for every year. And, and I get it on my birthday. It's the only thing I want. She makes a homemade Reese peanut butter cup ice cream cake. So I'm like, I don't need that, but I want that. So I'm like, babe, I don't care. I don't, I don't even want 18 holes of golf. Just give me the cake. That's what I want. If you give me the cake, I'm happy. And so every year, that's what she does for me. So, you know, it's, it's changed a little bit. But as a kid, as a kid, though, Christmas is epic, right? Christmas is the time of the year. You got your Christmas list out, you know, and you're, you've got, you're checking everything off. And I, when I was a kid, we still had catalogs. So we had the J.C. Penney catalog that would come in. The Sears catalog was definitely better. There was more selection. But the holy grail of catalogs was Toys R Us. It was still around. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was still there. And that was it. And we would circle everything we wanted. We'd put our initials by it, you know. And we would just pray to get the items that we wanted, you know. And so uh, Christmas would come, and we're up at like 5 o'clock in the morning because that's what every kid does. And, uh, and we run down the stairs, my parents. So they always made us wait. Then we uh, could go down the stairs when they were ready. But we run down the stairs and you open your gifts. And then at the end, there was always that one gift, right? There's always that one gift, your Red Rider BB gun that you want, right? There's always the one gift. And so what my parents would do is before we would get that gift, they would hand us a slip of paper. And so each, each of us got a piece of paper. And on it was a clue. And it would say, hey, hey, go to your sock drawer, right? And so you pull the sock drawer out. There's another clue inside there. And it says, call grandpa, who was super excited at 5.30 in the morning to get a phone call from one of his grandkids, you know? Uh, and we'd call him like, hey, your clue's in the garage. And so it was a scavenger hunt. And at the end of the scavenger hunt, that one gift you wanted was there. It was, it was present. It was so much fun. I, I, I do it to my kids today. It was so much fun. We, we, we do it with them. And we really enjoyed, enjoyed doing that. And, you know, Christmas, it, it's great to, to get gifts, but it's even better to give them, right? Like, I have more fun now as a parent giving gifts to my kids. And, and even more so when those gifts have meaning to them. Like, you don't just give random gifts, right? Like, you didn't just get your kid a random Lego set. You got your kid the 
350-piece X-Wing fighter uh, from Star Wars because they like to put Legos together, and they can quote the major scenes from A New Hope, which is the greatest Star Wars film in the whole game. And there's no Jar Jar Binks, bro. It is the best of all of the Star Wars films, right? And, and because he loves us so much, you get him that gift. And his face lights up, and he spends all his time putting it together. And it means more. When you can give gifts that have meaning, that are well thought out, they mean so much more than just a random, like, here's a Lego set. I thought you might like that, right? So after Jesus is born, there are these, these three guys. Well, we say there's three. We don't actually know how many there were. But there were these wise men, these magi, right? And these magi come and they give gifts to Jesus. But the gifts they give him are not random gifts. They are gifts that have purpose and meaning behind them. Now, we don't really know where these magi came from. We think they came from probably Persia. And they're really interesting guys. I mean, these magi, these, these were guys who, they were kind of like a, a conglomerate of people. They were, they were priests in a way. They were very religious, spiritual type people. Um, and yet, they were into the hard sciences too. And, but they weren't just like scientists because they were in the king's court. And they gave all kinds of great advice, like political advice, foreign policy, domestic policy. I mean, they, they were the people the king would kind of turn to. And a lot of times, you know, all all those fields of study would fuse themselves together, and, and the Magi would, would be this interesting kind of mix, syncretic blend of different beliefs. And that's what leads them to find this star that they follow. It's a mixture of astronomy and astrology and paganism, really, and Old Testament text that gets them to where there's something in the sky, we should go check it out. You say, why Old Testament? Well, because if they did come from Persia, where we think they came from, um, it, it would make sense. The Jewish people were in exile for, for 70 years or so in Babylon, which is today Iraq, right? And what happens is Persia comes in, they conquer Babylon, and the Persians say, hey, Emperor Cyrus, everybody who's been conquered can go back to their homeland. So a lot of Jews packed up and went back to Israel, but not all of them did, right? A lot of them stayed. Queen Esther and, and Mordecai stay, right? Nehemiah, he stays for a time. He goes back later. Uh, we know even in the Babylonian court, there were Jewish uh, magi. That's what Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are. They're counsel. They're in the king's court serving at the king's pleasure with, with these types of, uh, th this type of role. And so because of that, there is exposure to the Old Testament and the Old Testament text. There's a lot of Jewish presence that's there. And so these magi, they're not unfamiliar with what's happening, with what the Jewish people believe. In fact, at this time period, which we're at the close of BC. We're about probably 2 BC or so at this point. At this point in history, in that part of the world, everybody was kind of looking at Judea. And they were looking at Judea, Israel, because there was, a, there was this belief that some messianic, powerful figure would arise from that part of the world. In fact, the Roman historian Suetonius, he says this, throughout the whole of the East, there had spread an old and persistent belief that destiny had decreed at that time, being the time I'm talking about right now, okay, 
that men coming forth from Judea would seize power. There is this belief that something powerful was going to happen in Israel at this time period. So the Magi, are, they're, they're square on looking for any sign they can see, as everybody else apparently was too, that something's going to be happening from Israel. So it's not random chance that they're observing the stars and they, and they find one that stands out to them. And Matthew 2 contains the story of, of how they got to where they got to, to, to Bethlehem. They found the star. They get their ensemble together. They go to, they go to, to Judea. And, and, and again, these guys, they were astrologers. They're searching the night sky. And they're looking for signs that the Jewish king has arrived. And the reason why they're looking specifically for a Jewish king is because in the Old Testament... There's this really important prophecy. It was very popular in that time period, but a prophecy from Numbers 24, 17. Now, it's a prophecy given by a, name, a man named Balaam. In, in South Carolina, we call him Balaam. But Balaam was his name, right? And Balaam gives us prophecy concerning the Messiah. Now, I'll just give you a quick backstory of who he is. Balaam... Was a, was a man who was hired by the king of Moab. So Israel was wandering in the desert. Moses is their leader, okay? We're back in the Exodus period. And the king of Moab wants to destroy Israel, but he can't do it. He's outnumbered. So he hires a prophet named Balaam to curse the Jewish people. The only problem is Balaam says, yeah, I can't, I can't do what you want me to do. I can only say what God tells me to say. That's it. If God says curse him, I'll curse him. But whatever, it's not really up to God. And so three times he blessed blesses Israel instead of cursing them. And the fourth oracle he gives has to do with the destruction of Moab, but there's this, there's this little, little insert, this little prophetic insert that he gives concerning a future Messiah. And Numbers 24, 17 says this. He says, I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob, and a scepter will emerge from Israel. This prophecy was well known. It was widely accepted as messianic by the rabbis and Jewish people of that time period. In fact, so much so, there were people who were claiming to be the Messiah before Christ and even after Christ who took this name, Son of the Star, in reference to that prophecy. That's how widely accepted it was. So the Magi have every reason to believe that whatever is happening in that time period is pretty important. So when they see that cosmic event happen in the sky, whether it was a star or a supernova, or a we don't know. We just know that it was, it, they describe it as a star because that's the best they could come up with. It was something that was unusual that caught their attention. So when they see that, they travel to uh, Judea. And they get to Bethlehem, and they come to a house where Jesus is at. So I, I hate to blow up your perfect nativity set, but there, there's no eight-pound, six-ounce sweet baby Jesus that they find here. They find, they find a toddler. He's probably between you know, 18, 24 months at this time. They find him there, and then they, they begin to they worship him. They, they fall down his feet and worship him. Now, I, I don't know if they worship him as God incarnate, but they definitely worship him as king of the Jews. And the reason why I say that is because I, I don't think their syncretic blend of paganism, Old Testament theology, and astrology can probably lead them to this belief that it's God in the flesh. I don't know if they did that. They may have. But they certainly worship him as a king, and they pay homage to him as a king. The same way you would if, 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 a, if a king has a son who's born. Emissaries come from all around, and they give gifts, and they, and they, and they, they worship this king who's born because he's the rightful heir to this throne. That's the way they tend to worship Jesus here. 
So they may not have known who he was to the fullest extent, but they certainly knew that he was a king. And they worship giving him three gifts. That's where we get our, our three wise men legend from. But they give three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They are not random. Those gifts have purpose. There's a reason they give them these gifts. And, and we're going to take time over the next few weeks here to kind of break down each of these gifts and talk about why these gifts were given. So I want to I pick up in the story. Matthew 2, verse number 9. And the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem, and it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chests and gave gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I don't know. I'm a parent of three kids. My youngest is fixing to be two. She'll be two in March. I didn't get gold. I didn't get frankincense. I never didn't get myrrh. These baby showers that we had. <laughs> okay, those were not part of it. No diapers. No snot suckers. Which, by the way, you need a snot sucker. If it's battery-powered, preferred, okay? Because that's the best way to go. Trust me. Amber, who, who leads worship up here, Amber's got a baby shower coming up, man. And, and, uh, and, and we're all excited for Baby Robinson. You need a battery-powered snot sucker. I'm just telling you right now, you need it. We'll save your life. We need those. All right. So why, why those gifts? Well, there's a reason behind this. We're going to start with frankincense here today. I, I don't know if you, if you know much about frankincense. If you're into the essential oils craze or your spouse is, um, you know, mine has all kinds of essential oils. I know nothing about them except they smell good. That's it. But she's got all the, she's got all the little, she has labels. It's for this, it's for that, which is really cool. I just, I, I, you know, they smell good to me. But frankincense is the Swiss army knife of essential oils. It's got a lot of uses. It's an anti-stringent. Bet you didn't know that. It's a sedative, okay? If you have a cat, you might want to get rid of. Put some, put some frankincense in their food. You might be able to move them. Um, it's a diuretic. Bet you didn't know that one. Someone who's not here at church today is watching this later. You, you might need to know that information. Uh, it, it's got a lot of different reasons, okay? A lot of different reasons or uses. In the first century, though, it was used to help people who were sick and treat wounds. But more importantly, for our purposes, it was used by the priests. The priests would use it, okay, as part of the sacrifice being offered to God. And it's, the description is that the prayers are a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Now, why is that? Because of this right here. You burn the sacrifice, and the incense burns, and it smells very sweet. And that smoke rises up as the prayers rise up to heaven. That's, that's why you have the description in the Bible about our prayers. So the Magi give this gift of frankincense, and it perfectly paints this picture of Jesus, one of the roles that he plays, where Jesus is our high priest. He's our high priest. And they say, wait a minute, why, why, does, why does that matter? Why does it matter that Jesus is our high priest? Well, the high priest represents the people of Israel before God, and he has two really important functions that only he can fulfill and nobody else can do it. And, and, and it might be a little different for you, you know, but the first function here was he would sacrifice animals, bulls, rams, lambs, goats, that kind of thing, doves, he would sacrifice them. And if you're here this morning and, and this is your first time 
maybe even in church, or you're watching this and you're like, man, this is a, sacrificing animals was not on my, my list when I came to church. Like, wh why? Why would they do that? I, I want to bring you in on this. I, want, I don't want you to be lost. I want to catch you up on this. There's a reason for it. Why would he sacrifice animals? Why does the priest do that kind of thing? Well, the reason behind that is something has to satisfy God's judgment for sin. Okay? Now, I know we don't like the word sin. Sin seems super religious and oppressive and archaic, and I, I get that. We would much rather call sin a mistake. One, one, one of my kids, I won't tell you which one, but one of my kids right now, everything this one does wrong, it's, it was an accident, you know. I accidentally colored on the door frame. I, I don't know how that accidentally happened, but it did. No, and so we would much rather call sin an accident or a mistake. However, it, that, that's, that's not really what sin is. I know it, we want to use that term because sin almost sounds, it almost sounds manipulative too in a way if you think about it. Like sin's a, it's almost like it's, it's God's version of the elf on the shelf. He's watching you. He's making, he's making that list of all the things you've done wrong. I get, I get that. But here's the thing. Sin is a violation of God's holiness. And I want to really talk about this this morning. It's a violation of God's holiness. There is a separation, a distinction between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of humanity. And if we don't grasp the holiness of God, we will always have a casual approach to sin. Like it's no big deal. Why? Because a mistake is no big deal. It is, it is being whatever. We'll never truly understand what sin does to us and how much it costs us, because sin has a cost to it. Has a cost. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? It's death. With the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, sin, if left unresolved in our lives, it's going to cost us. We're, we're going to have a physical death because of sin. When sin came into the world, physical death came with it. Right? But even more so, we have a separation from God for eternity if our sin is left unresolved. That's why in Scripture, we talk about being separated from God for eternity. The term death is often used. Why is that? Well, I don't know. From my perspective, if I'm separated from God forever, I might as well be dead, right? I mean, that, that's death in and of itself. And so th there is a separation which occurs if our sin isn't dealt with. It violates the holiness of God. But what does it mean to say that God is holy? What, what does that mean? That sounds that does sound religious and spiritual, and, and we hear that term every so often. But what does it mean to say that he's holy? Well, to say that he's holy means that, that he, is, he is separate, right? God is separate in every way from us. He is flawless. He is pure. He is perfect. He is holy. We are not. It's, 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 you know, God says, hey, you're, you're called to be holy because he is holy, which is a challenge. If we're not holy, how can we be holy? And God, well, we, we can't do it on our own. There's no way you on your own could ever be good enough. There's no way on your own you could ever do enough good works. You, could, you, you on your own are not enough to be holy before the Lord. So why does God call us to be holy then? Because God desires intimacy with us. He doesn't desire separation. He wants intimacy. He wants relationship. He wants us to be together with Him. Sin is, is what breaks that intimacy with God. 
it's the antithesis of who God is. If God is holy, sin is not. If God is light, sin is darkness. If God is life, sin is death. So again, if we don't resolve sin, we're forever separated from God because of it. And so what happens? Well, in the Old Testament period, the priest would offer the sacrifices to the Lord, the animal sacrifices in place of the people for their sin. Something has to pay for sin. But most importantly, those sacrifices, there was one particular day of the year that they would occur, they would absolve the entire nation of sin. So we, we go to a day called the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. It's the holiest day in Israel. And what the priest would do on that day is he would take a red heifer, okay? And he would bring this, this, this bull out. He'd place his hands in the bull, and, and he'd say a prayer. It was, it was like symbolic of the sin passing from the person to the animal, okay? He would slit the bull's throat, drain all the blood into a basin, into a, a bowl. And then what he would do, they'd cut the animal up, they'd burn the animal. Then he would go into the innermost part of the temple a place called the Holy of Holies. He could only go into this place one day a year. The presence of God was said to dwell there. The Ark of the Covenant, Indiana Jones, you've seen it, right? The Ark of the Covenant, it's there in the Holy of Holies, okay? And he would walk in. Now, he had little bells around his, his tassels that he wore in his robe, and he would have a rope tied around his ankle. Why? Well, as long as you heard the bells, everything was good. When the bells stopped, it meant he was dead, and you pulled him out. Why? Because if you were not prepared spiritually to enter into this most holy place in the presence of God, the Lord would take your life. That doesn't sound right. That's the holiness of God. That is, that is, that is what we're talking about. It's the Old Testament period, but that is the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. You must prepare yourself to get into the presence of God. So he'd go in. And he would take the blood in the bowl and he would throw it or sprinkle it onto the altar in the Holy of Holies. And the incense would be lit and he would pray before the people. And the smoke would rise to heaven. Then he would go out, he'd get a goat, he'd tie a scarlet thread around the goat, and they would release the goat to wander in the wilderness. So why would they do that? Because that was symbolic of God taking away the sin of people in Israel for that year. His wrath was satisfied in the sacrifice of the bull. His judgment was met. But now he's taking away the sins for good for that year, for that year only, okay? That's where we got our term scapegoat from, by the way, is the goat walking out, taking the sin of the people away from Israel. And that's how it was done until Jesus comes. Hebrews 10, verse number 8. First, Christ said, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, Look, I've come to do your will. Talking about God. He's done to do God's will, okay? He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. The first covenant is what I just told you about, right? The second is this, Jeremiah 31. We talked about it for a while, the last few weeks. The second covenant is that God puts his law on your heart, that God knows you personally, but that's only possible through the sacrifice of Jesus. So Paul, or Paul, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. I happen to believe it's Paul. I just portrayed that one, didn't I? So 
So the author of Hebrews, he says this. He says, look, the second one goes into effect because of Christ. For God's will was for us to be made holy. Okay, remember, God says be holy for I'm holy. Be made holy by the sacrifice of what? Not of the, the heifer, not of the goats, of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. Remember, the day of atonement is for that year. This is for good. Verse 11. Out of the Old Covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, who is our high priest? It is Jesus. Our high priest, he offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. Good, not for one year, not for one day. Good for all time. It's good once and for all. And then he sat down in place of honor at God's right hand. So Christ not only satisfied God's judgment for us, but he also provides a way of absolution, of forgiveness that is good, not for a temporary period, but for once and for all. The author of Hebrew notes that he's our high priest, and he actually goes even further into the role of the high priest, because the second function of the high priest was this, that he would pray on behalf of the people. He was a representative. He would pray on behalf of the people to God. You could not go to God on your own. You went to the priest. Offer this sacrifice. Hey, pray this for me. I need that, whatever. He was the mediator between God and man. Well, Jesus comes in, and he will change that as well. He is now the mediator between man and God. Hebrews 4.14. So then, since we have a great high priest, this is Jesus, who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do. Yet what? He didn't sin. If you're a note taker, this is an important verse right here. One of the most important verses in all of Scripture. Jesus is not distant. He's not uninvolved in your life. There was this theory many years ago. We had deists, so we would call them, and they believed in God, that God existed, but that God was like a clockmaker. That was the analogy they came up with, where God creates something like a clock, and he sets it into place, and then he steps away and never touches it again. He's uninvolved in people's lives. That's not who God is. God is involved in your life. Why? Because God cares for you. God cares deeply about you and who you are. And he gets it. You're not praying to a God who doesn't understand. You are praying to a God who absolutely understands what you're experiencing and what you're going through. He says, man, I know what you've been through because I've been there. I've dealt with severe anxiety. I've dealt with pain. I've dealt with heartache. I've dealt with the tragedy of losing somebody unexpectedly, man. I, I understand what it's like to feel overwhelmed and not have all the answers that you want. I know what it's like to feel as if the whole world is against you and you're alone. Because Jesus gets it. He lived it. This high priest is the perfect representation for humanity because he's been in our shoes. Think about this for a moment. Think about it for a second. And for some of you, it's going to require you to really kind of get out of the box a little bit. But I want you to think about this. Jesus, okay, he was born out of wedlock to a teen mom. You ever thought about that? Like, Mary, at first, was not married to Joseph. That's one of the reasons he doesn't want to go through with it. You're pregnant? No, we're done. And the angel comes in and tells Joseph, no, 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 don't, don't you do this. This is God's work. Stay with her. You don't think, as a kid growing up, 
that there weren't whispers about that? You don't think that people in the first century Middle East sat there and said, you know, Joseph is not Jesus' father. Something is up with that. I promise you they did. He knows what that's like. He lived at, very, at the very least, man, he lived in near poverty, if not impoverished type conditions. He was a carpenter. His dad was a carpenter. That doesn't necessarily mean that he built things you know, like, like houses. A carpenter in those days was a jack of all trades who did what he could to make ends meet. He was a fisherman. He was a stonemason. He was in the carpentry, sure. He was a farmer. He was a day laborer. Whatever he could do to make money, that's what a carpenter was. Boy, his closest friends, they questioned him. What he, what he believed and who he was about. One of his closest friends betrayed him. Not just betrayed him, betrayed him to his death. Like, you kind of feeling this a little bit? Like, Jesus understands some things you're going through. Now, at the same time, it's not all negative. Because, buddy, he laughed. He had humor. He told jokes. He had to have been the greatest prankster of all time. Like, how does the man who creates the platypus and the dodo bird, how is he not an incredible prankster? He has to be, right? He's got to be a great prankster. But Jesus danced and he loved, and he had deep late night conversations with people, and he had foods that he really liked, and he had foods that he didn't care so much for, but he ate them anyway because he respected people, right? That's mama's telling you to do that, right? He did that. Boy, he finally suffers at the hands of gnats and mosquitoes, and maybe question, why did I make those, right? I don't know if he did or not, but I think he should. I'm going to ask him one day about that. But think about this. Before he became a man and lived in our shoes, he had never experienced life here. So, if you're Abraham, if you're Moses, if you're Daniel, if you're Joshua, if you're anybody, you can talk about pain. Hey, God, I'm feeling it. You could talk about heartache. You could talk about the joys of life. You could express all those things. And yet God had not experienced them from our perspective. Now we have humor and sadness and joy because God does, because we're made in God's image. So we have the emotions that God has, but he had not experienced them from our vantage point in our shoes until he came as a little baby so many years ago. And then he lived our lives. And he finally felt the pressure that you feel, that you talk about, that he heard you talk about. But now he felt it. Now he lived it. Now he experienced it. When John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, then he says what? The Word became flesh. It's one of us. Everything changed. Emmanuel, God with us, means so many things for sure. But one of them is, he's one of us. Christ left his throne and the game changed. God became one of us and he experienced life as we do. He was our sacrifice, he was our high priest. So that what? So that this, we could approach him and find grace and help and healing and forgiveness and hope. Hebrews 4.16. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, our God who went through life like we did, 
who faced temptations as we did and overcame them, right? Our God who understands the valley low experiences, but also the mountaintop experiences. That God. There, we'll receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. You can come directly to God because of Christ, because of his sacrifice, because he satisfied the judgment of God. He's our high priest who mediates for us on our behalf, not one day a year, but every day and every minute of all time. You can come to God because he cares for you, because he understands what you've gone through. Because his judgment has been satisfied and because now he can extend mercy. What is mercy? It means that God gives us what we don't deserve because of the punishment Jesus took that we deserved. We deserve that punishment. He took it for us. Therefore, what does God do? He gives us the things we're not worthy of that we don't deserve. That's mercy. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be perfect. I've met so many folks over the years. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll get right with God when I figure this kind of stuff out. Well, once I take care of this, I'll be okay. Listen, God is not waiting on you to do that kind of stuff. You don't got to have it all together. You don't got to figure it out. You can come now, however you are. Well, I got a lot of baggage. That's okay. He'll take it. Why? He's got a burden that's a lot lighter than the one you're carrying. He'll take it for you. He'll do it. You don't have to know all the theological nuances. Well, I'm not sure what I believe about this, that, or the other. Can I just tell you the most important step in your life, the only step that matters here for eternity is this. Do you know Jesus? Does he know you? Is there a relationship there? Has the Holy Spirit taken up residence in your life because you belong to Christ? Now that matters. You want to argue about all your little things out there? We can totally do that. I don't know why, but we can do that if you want to do that. But that doesn't matter. Take that first step, which is the most important step. Jesus, I need you. I need you. My life is yours. Because that's the one that matters the most. You can come to your Heavenly Father because He loves you. I've got three kids. My youngest one, my baby, okay, is, is my only girl. So I'm already, and I admit this openly, I'm already lost. Because <laughs> whatever she wants, she can have it. And she comes to me, and she does this all the time. She'll come to me, and she'll crawl on my lap. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I came home, and, and the boys were at their cousin's house playing. So I came home, and she was home, and it was just her. And I'm so excited to see her. And she, you know, she says, Dada, and she comes running to me as I walk to the door. Now, how does your heart not melt? Of course it does. So I'm like, babe, what do you want? You know? And so I gave her candy, because why not? I don't ever give my boys candy, but I gave her candy. And, uh, and she's, she's, she's fantastic. She loves it. And Shana comes in the room. What did you give her? I gave her a Hershey bar, babe. Like, it's okay. I just gave her candy. Oh, did you? <laughs> and for lunch, she had cookies. Like, I mean, we just spoiled this kid. Crazy. But, you know, like, but, but whatever she wants, whatever any of my kids want, right? I don't spoil my kids rotten. But look, if they have a need, they can come to me and they can ask for it. And I will meet that need because I care for my kids. I'll move heaven and earth to make sure that their needs, not all their wants, but I will move it all to make sure their needs are met. You know, for you guys who are parents out there, is that not true? 
Would you not move everything to meet the needs of your kids? Is it not important to you that, hey, they came to me and they said, hey, I'm sorry and I need to work this out and work that out. Do you, do you sit there and do you just berate them for all the things they have to get figured out in their life and all the things they've done wrong? Or do you say, man, I'm so glad that you're back home. I'm so glad that you're taking this first step. Of course you take the first step, right? Of course you meet those needs. How much more then is God, is he acting that way towards us? where he meets our needs and cares for us. Why? Because we have a relationship. That's why. Jesus paid the price. He satisfied God's judgment so you could be forgiven. So in your sinfulness, you could experience the holiness of God so long as you accept Christ. And you can have a relationship with Christ and God today because he's our high priest who understands what you're going through more than you realize, who's the mediator between us and God, who cares for us because we care for Him. And because He's our high priest, we can approach God's presence with boldness, knowing this, that whatever it is that we need, God will give it. Guys, come on up. So the question today, what is it that you need? right? What, what do you need? Maybe you're here this morning and, and you need healing. There's healing in your life. You've got to have it. It's physical healing, emotional healing, mental healing. I don't know what it is, but you need healing in your life today. Uh, maybe it's wisdom. You've got a lot going on. You've got some big decisions and you need wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me peace. There's some big decisions you have coming up and you just, you're stressing out. You're feeling overwhelmed. I just need God. I just need God to help me out here. Whatever it is you need, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus today and get it and find it. Maybe you need forgiveness. Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and you just weren't aware of your sin and the holiness of God to that respect, but you haven't made the decision to do anything about it. You know, For you, it's been kind of like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out later. I, I would tell you and plead with you not to, not to wait till later. Do it now. Approach God and say, Lord, I, I, need, I need forgiveness today. I need your hope today. You know, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've hurt. It doesn't matter what your story is. God, will, He's there to forgive you. Now, you have consequences you've got to deal with. We all do. God doesn't absolve you of consequences for your sin. You're going to have to pay those consequences. But what God does is He gives you that spiritual absolution. And you do find new life. And you do find freedom. But to do all that, you got to say yes to Christ first. Here's what I want to do today. I, in, in a moment, I want to pray for all of us in the room. And perhaps you're here today and, and you would say, Pastor, like, I, I, I don't know if I would say that I'm good with God, but I want to do that before I leave today. I want to make sure that God and I are, 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 in, are in alignment. I want to lead you through a prayer. I'm going to model it. And you say it however you want to say it, but I'm going to model it for you so you know what it sounds like. We're going to make Christ our Savior first because He came to save us from our sin. And we're going to make Him Lord of our lives because it's not about us anymore. Once we say yes to Jesus, now it's all about God and we're, we're living for Him. And we're going to ask Him to lead us and guide us. And then we're going to do something a little bit different today. We don't always do this at Radiant, but today we're going to do it. You have a need in your life. 
that you need to bring, bring before the Lord, I want you to come forward. I want you to come forward and just begin to pray. So why? I can, I can do it at my seat. You could. But when you come up front, it's just you and God at that point, right? And with you and God, you pour your heart out to the Lord. Say, God, I have these needs. I bring them before you today. You're my mediator. You're my provider. Can you meet these for me? So, Father, I thank you for those who are here today. and Maybe they're here and they don't know you as Lord and Savior. Perhaps today they're, they're saying, I, I'm not sure if I could say that uh, my heart is in alignment with God. But, Pastor, I want to make sure that's the case before I leave. So we're going to pray this prayer. Say it in your own words. You don't have to say it out loud if you don't want to, but say it in your own words. It's going to go like this. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I recognize it's a violation of your standard. It's things I'm not proud of. Lord, I know things you're not proud of. And God, today, I'm, I'm here to say I'm sorry. I'm here to ask for your forgiveness in my life. Would you save me? I can't save myself. I, 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 realize, I learned today my holiness doesn't compare to your holiness. In fact, I'm not even holy. I can't match that. I need you, God. So will you save me? Will you bridge that gap that my sin has caused, that break in this intimacy that you desire? Forgive me. Help me, God, to, 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 to live this life going forward for you. In fact, not just live it for you, I, I'm going to surrender myself to you. From this day forward, I'm committing myself to following after you. Will you be my Lord today? I've tried living my own way, and it hadn't worked out. So Lord, from this day forward, I'm going to commit myself to following you and doing what you tell me to do, going where you call me to go. Will you lead me and guide me? Will you take control of my life? Will you be my Savior and my Lord today? Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, if you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.